Welcome everybody. Today we have Max on and I'm really excited Hello, about this interview and I would just like to welcome you to the podcast for the very first time. Hello. Hello. How are nice you doing? I'm doing pretty fine. Did you already juggle today? Today actually I didn't get a chance to juggle yet. I only theorized some patterns but I didn't actually juggle so far. Because I already did. I have a wedding performance for a friend coming up next Saturday. So uh, now I'm working on it every day to get it just right in time. Um, oh, that is awesome. Good luck <laughs> with that. Thank you very much. Um, so your practice is still coming up. It's still something you're going to do today, later, after the interview. Yeah, absolutely. I'm hoping for a little bit better weather because I don't have a gym to practice right now. But maybe it's got to be an indoor session today. We'll see. So um, like with all other interviews, I would just like to ask you to introduce yourself, tell us how old you are, who you are, and how you started juggling. So very, very basic, very simple. All right, I'm Maximilian, 25 years old, and I started juggling, I think around six years ago now, when I was living in a flat with some roommates. And one of them already knew how to juggle, so one day he would just pick up some oranges that we had lying around and started to juggle. And I never tried it as a kid, but I always thought about learning it. So when I saw him juggling the oranges, I was like, hey, can you teach me how to do that? And I think like two crates of oranges later and maybe two hours or so. And then I kind of had the three ball cascade down. Oh, really? This fast? It only took you about two hours to understand the basic um, throws and catches and to sort of get it going. Yeah, so after two hours, I think my record was like something in the 60s, 70s or something like that. So wow. it already felt pretty good. Wow, that's a lot for just two hours. I think I've only had one person, one student um, who was 25 or something, like uh, an actual university student, who managed to do about 100 catches after just one hour of juggling. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, for the very first time. Insane. So your, your, your experience is very similar in terms of first learning to juggle. Yeah, I think I had a very good teacher in that. And I, I think I just also got lucky in understanding how I really had to throw and what's actually important in the cascade. So... I think on another day, if I had tried it, it might have taken me way longer, but I know, it just kind of clicked. I know that you did some other sports before. You did like tricking, I think is what it's called. Do you think yes, that, that helped tricking. you with juggling? Mm, it might have helped me a little bit because with martial arts tricking, you get a lot of perception of your body and where everything's going. And when I was doing flips back in the day and twists and such, I think it already helped me to develop a very basic understanding of where my body is supposed to be in the room and what every part of my body is doing. So that might have played into it. Do you also think um, that tricking taught you how to practice or um, sort of the idea of perseverance and that you sometimes have to push through and stick with something in order to get it done at some point? Maybe, but not so much, I would say. Back when I was tricking, I would do it way more casually. And I just really learned whenever I wanted to learn something. And I didn't really have like a training regiment or cared much about making progress. 
I just kind of went out and hoped that I wouldn't break my neck. Um, when did you start tricking and for how long did you did you end up do, um, doing that? And then why why did you stop? And did you like juggling more? Did you end up liking juggling way more? Or was it just injuries that caused you to um, switch, so, so to speak? Yeah, it was actually the injuries. I started tricking when I was like 12, I think, 11 or 12, something like that. And I did it up until I was like 17, 18. But during the time I broke three or four bones, tore some ligaments, dislocated my shoulder a couple of times and eventually the injuries were just not worth the experience anymore. Oh, so you did, you did have to uh, go to the hospital several times probably. Um, yeah, I had to go to the hospital. Let me think about it three times oh, while wow. I was in my tricking career. The one, one time where I broke my arm was really bad. I, there was actually a small chance that I might lose my arm because it was broken very badly and there was like bone fragments in my arm okay. from shattering. So I'm kind of lucky that I still have both arms. What exactly were you working on that broke your arm? Um, something really stupid. I wanted to jump over a fence and in jumping over the fence, I had to do like a kick up from a wall to gain a little bit more height. And at first it worked pretty well and I felt confident that we could film it. But as soon as we rolled the camera, my foot got caught at the edge of the fence and I fell over right onto my arm and it got compressed kind of like a music instrument. <laughs> It's a very nice way to put it. Very nice metaphor. <laughs> yeah, um, that was not so much fun. <laughs> um, how compared to juggling, did you like tricking or was juggling something that you um, or maybe, maybe, no, maybe let's uh, pose another question first. What was it about okay. what was it about um, tricking that fascinated you? Well, I really like the idea of having like absolute control over your body, being able to do like flips and crazy stunts just from the get go. And I really just liked exploring the limits of my body and what it can do. Do you think that it's, um, it's at, at a certain point impossible to fully prevent injury or injuries um, um, when, you, when you do tricking? Yeah, it's kind of impossible to fully prevent injuries but you can minimize the risk of injury quite a bit, but that is tied to how well the equipment that you're able to use is. And when I started tricking, we did have a gym twice a week, but it was really bad and the equipment was very low grade. And most of the time we just trained in the grass or the meadows. And with tricking, there was one point where I felt like I couldn't really improve anymore without significantly increasing the risk of injuries. Because when you do something like, let's say, a forward somersault with a twist, then that is really basic and eventually you can kind of do it. But when you want to go to the next level and want to do like two twists, then there's no really easy way of working towards the trick. There's no real prerequisite. So you just kind of have to go for it and hope that it goes well. And if it doesn't go well, then the risk of injury is pretty high. So there is no way to, compared to juggling, it's way more risky, way more dangerous. The risk of, you know, getting yes. injured way higher. 
Yes, that's definitely true. At least without really proper equipment and a lot of people to help you with. Like when I learned the backflip back in the days, I did a really, really unsafe method of learning it. I basically just put a mattress down in the garden and I just went for it. Like I watched a tutorial on what I am supposed to do, but I didn't really have any kind of real instructions. So I just had my brother stood there and be like, okay, you call the emergency if I break my neck. And then I just <laughs> went for the backflip. Just back to be flip. safe. <laughs> yeah, but when I teach other people how to do a backflip later during the tricking period, we had a way more safer method. Like we had two people help the other person spin around. We made sure that injury was basically impossible. So with the right instructions, it's, it's way less injury prone. I would say. Um, so your brother did did tricking too, or? Yes, and he still does it to this day, and he's gotten way better than I ever was. Do you still have some of your old skills? Could you still do? Because I remember seeing you at the juggling battle where we were both participating, and I yeah. remember you did like a sort of flip. I'm not exactly sure what it's called, but. Oh yeah, I did a cartwheel without hands. Okay, that's what that was called. An aerial. Yeah, I do still retain some of the basic skills. I can still do some backflips now and then and some front flips and such, but I've lost a lot of technical ability, <laughs> but wow. the basics are okay. So how did you go from, uh, how did you get from three to four and then five balls? Well, I think it was a pretty linear progress. When I first learned three balls, I was immediately hooked and I started practicing pretty hard, like right away. And then the roommate that teached me how to juggle, he was also getting like interested in learning how to do more juggling. So we both kind of started at the same time and tried to push each other. Do I know your um, roommate? Yeah, Jonas, actually. Oh, okay. Jonas that makes Gersh. a lot of sense. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, now it makes a yeah. lot of sense to me. Yeah, we kind of pushed each other, like everybody tried to learn as much as possible fast as possible. So that helped me a lot in my development. And I think we got four balls down after like two weeks, maybe. And then I started practicing five balls because I wanted to one up him. And <laughs> meaning always on the, being like one object just ahead. Yeah, exactly. That, that was kind of my goal. I wanted to really move forward and really get better than he was. So I practiced five balls and on the very first practice that I started with five balls, I think I immediately got 15 catches or something wow. like that. So three so times that encouraged through me. the pattern. Yeah, exactly. And that encouraged me a lot to actually get out and practice and learn it. Well, that's really and fast progress. And how long did it end up taking you to um, fully learn five balls to like run the pattern for, you know, what to uh, like, that it would feel comfortable to you? Mm, that's not so easy to say, but I think after another two or three months, I, I was getting close to a hundred catches. And then I would say another four or five months until the pattern was like to a point where I didn't have to think about running it that much. What was the, was there ever a point in your life as a juggler where you heavily increase the amount of hours you put in every day? Yeah, 
that was i think when you sort of started to say to yourself okay now i'm going to put in the effort and become a great juggler now i'm going to do whatever it takes to uh get really good because i know from like talking to you and having you know talked with other people about you that you put in an insane amount of hours on a daily basis or you used to oh, yeah. at least yeah i'm still practicing quite a bit now it's a little bit less due to an internship that i have to do for my study but I'm still trying to practice around three to four hours a day. That's at least the goal. And I think I started this trend of like really, really putting in the work when I went to the Nuremberg convention in 2015, which was my very first convention ever. And I saw all of the great jugglers. I think that was the first time I saw you doing like seven balls or even seven clubs, I think. And yeah, I remember I was, yeah. <laughs> 2015 yeah. in Nuremberg I was working on seven clubs yeah yeah I saw you run the pattern and it, it just looked so massive and unfathomable to me that I, I really wanted to become as good or at least try to approach that skill so I think after 2015 I really started upping my practice and practicing quite a bit more it makes me so happy to hear you say that I helped in the process. Oh, absolutely. I think you were one of my biggest inspirations. And oh, up to this day, you still you. are, actually. Thank you so much. Oh, Jesus, which is actually... Oh, yeah, by the way, we could just do this very quick. Why do people call you Jesus? Is it the hair? It is the hair. Oh, yes. It is the hair. I, I wish there was a fancy backstory to this nickname. And like you can walk nowadays, water. I don't really use it that much more. But back in the days... I had a little bit longer hair and somebody thought, oh, you look like Jesus and then the name kind of stuck. So <laughs> nothing okay, fancy no. about that, actually. Um, so um, you did go to that convention and then you saw a lot of better jugglers who inspired you, who motivated you. You started practicing more. Yes. Um, how many hours did you put in every day? Um, I think starting from 2015, I started to practice at least three hours a day and then three turned to four, five. And eventually I had periods where I literally practiced like seven, eight hours every day for like weeks or months and only ever decreased my amount of hours if I had to learn for an exam or if I was like a little bit injured or exhausted and needed to regenerate my body, so to speak. Am I allowed to ask questions about what you're studying at university? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I, could, I, would, I would really like to know because it seems to me that like you were saying twice before, um, whenever yes. you can, you put in all the time you have like into juggling. And the only Basically, thing that yes. sort of, <laughs> um, that sort of is annoying is studying because you have to do that on this side. And sometimes it requires you to put in the hours for like an internship, which is when you can't juggle. Yeah. I still try to at least get some practice in and I try to minimize the time that I spend on my study while still being able to somewhat effectively complete my study. But it does take some time, at least in, in the exam phase. So you're, trying to be to very, like, you're trying to be very efficient when it comes to oh studying. Oh yeah, definitely. Absolutely. For example, I never attend like any meetings with my professors or something like that i don't go into the lessons like ever so you don't and attend I'm, the physical like you don't physically attend no. class no I, I never attend class unless it's mandatory and 
I usually only get to see like the scripts for the exams that I'm writing maybe one or at most two weeks before the actual exam. And then I just kind of power through learning that and get done with the exam that way. Do you think the perseverance that you've gained from juggling helps you to push through and like spend all day um, preparing for the exam for a week or two? Absolutely. I think the discipline that I gained throughout the years just by juggling has greatly increased my capability of studying. And if I wasn't juggling so much, then I actually think I would struggle a lot more with my study. What exactly are you studying? I'm studying materials engineering in Nuremberg, but I consider it much more of a hobby than an actual study for a job later on. Okay. But it is a good insurance for if juggling doesn't work out the way I want it to, because my ultimate goal is to live or make a living out of juggling. But there's always a chance of like getting injured for longer. Maybe I break my arm or something, or <laughs> maybe the there's arm. a global pandemic. <laughs> and suddenly there's <laughs> I don't no think, gigs anymore. I, I don't think that will ever happen. <laughs> it's a very unlikely scenario. Um, yeah, you, I certainly hope not, but you never know. Yeah. So. Good to have something in the back pocket if yeah. you ever need like a second way to earn your money. Can you imagine people might have to wear masks in public? It would be <laughs> um, yeah, crazy. I we were just you were just talking about making money off uh, juggling. Yes. In our in our we have a WhatsApp group chat, uh, obviously, and you recently sent a couple of voice notes saying how you are making like 100 euros or 150 euros a day and that you have sort of decided that you're going to spend three three days a week juggling for money yes and the rest of the week juggling like actually practicing but even when you juggle for money you're still practicing so i feel like that's a very interesting concept and could you um, elaborate elaborate a bit on that and explain what exactly you're doing so right now, most of my juggling for a living is basically just street performance. And usually I would like get a license for a city that I wanted to perform in and travel first thing in the morning to the city. And then I just juggle until I fill the quota for the day. And the shows that I'm doing are highly technical actually. A lot of my private practice kind of carries over to what I bring out on the street performance because I'm not that good of a performer yet. So I'm kind of compensating by, for that by doing very technical stuff on the streets. So you're essentially practicing more or less doing your regular practice in front of people in the street. Um, but you're trying to do stuff that you're more or less you know good at so that it's not yeah. that you're not overly droppy when you are yeah exactly i when i'm in the streets i only juggle the stuff that i have like solid to a degree that i can pull it off in like at most three attempts so i'm, I'm not practicing like i don't know eight up 360s or so when i'm on the streets <laughs> because you would be just be dropping and people would lose interest yeah, and I noticed a couple of times that some of the people that were initially going to like be interested and give me money or so, that they saw me drop and then they just kind of go on walking. So 
I try to drop as little as possible when I do my shows on the streets. But it's uh, it's a good way of working on your six balls, doing six ball routines for people, which in a normal performance, you would probably never do them for that long. But when you're just practicing in the street, that's something you have very solid. So you can show, you can show yes. them that. Yeah, and my street show is sometimes when I have like a really good day, the, the things that I do on my street show are basically the same that I do on my regular practice. Like a lot of the time in my street shows, I would even perform high level skills like a seven up 360 or a DV97531, something like that. But it all depends on like how comfortable I feel on the day and how my daily form is. Do people talk, talk to you or do they come to you after they see you juggle and then ask you questions about it and then you end up showing them even more and ex so you start explaining what juggling means or how does that work? Yeah, exactly. So usually when I'm in the streets, I just practice a little bit, do like five, six, seven ball stuff that is not overly droppy. And when I notice that people are watching, I try to engage with them, talk to them a little bit and yeah, kind of make them want to see more, make them stay and hopefully make, make the days a little bit better in the end. That's, That's really cool. Do you, um, are you normally, do you just juggle in one city and then the next day you move on to the next city or do you go to one city in the morning until noon and then go to a different city and get like different licenses for each city? Um, usually I just stick to one city per day. Because otherwise it just, just gets too stressful. Yeah, exactly. Especially with like taking the trains and wasting like hours to just get from city to city and then setting up again, warming up again. It's just not efficient to do that. Do you go to different cities because um, just staying in one city all the time, people are going to start recognizing you, you know, day after day, and then they are going to lose interest? Or is that something that you fear? Do you think it just yeah. makes more sense to switch places? Um, yeah, that is something that I'm kind of worried about, like an oversaturation of the market, if I'm sticking to one city for extended periods of time. But so far, I have not noticed that in any of the cities that I've been to. But I, I don't want to get to the point where that actually is going to become a reality. So I try to mix up the cities quite a bit. Did people ever ask you for your license? Or is that, is that just something you have you know, just in case? Um, I actually never got asked for, or I never got asked to show my license so far. Which oh, is that's interesting. really curious to me, but yeah, I always thought it was like this thing that you just had to have. I feel like one time you could yeah. probably get by just even not even having a license, pretending you didn't know, you know, and then yeah. they're going to give you like a, a warning, <laughs> and they're yeah, going to say you're probably you know, just next going time. to get yeah. yeah, you're probably just going to get like a slap on the wrist hmm. if you're juggling without a license for the first time. But since license, at least right now, they are currently free due to like corona help there's really no point to not getting a license and being on the safe side is a does that differ though from city to city do some cities not even require you to have a license yes it it depends entirely on the city and the law of the city for some cities for example 
juggling on the streets doesn't really fall under any of the laws regarding street art because a lot of the street art is tied to like making noise, like making music on the street. And then there are like different regulations for like being noisy in the streets than they would be for something like a mime performance. And there's, there's often like gray areas where you can kind of just juggle there and nobody can really say anything against you because there's nothing in the law forbidding you from doing it. Do you, do you um, have music running in the background or do you take advantage, so to speak, of the uh, musicians that are also performing or trying to make money? Um, I usually never have music on the streets. I got suggested to do so a couple of times, but I didn't find it very necessary so far. But Maybe if you have a friend who's a musician, one day you could like go together and... Um... Yeah, maybe in that... If that happens, then that might be a good idea to just try out and see if it actually makes a difference. So now we've covered the um, money issue. What, um, yes. what is your favorite prop? What is your least favorite prop? Um, and um, what, what are you currently focusing on? And what kind of prop was sort of always your favorite? Did that ever change? You know, things like that. Yeah, well... I don't think it comes as a surprise that my favorite prop is juggling balls. I started with balls. I never really switched that much from balls and they will probably always be my favorite prop to play around. And also to no surprise, everybody that has talked to me probably knows about this, but I really genuinely hate club juggling. It's just something that I don't why, really enjoy at all. Why though? <laughs> I don't know. I, I dislike how it feels. I dislike the tricks to them. You dislike how it looks it. also? If I'm juggling them myself, then yes. But <laughs> I, do, I do like the look of club juggling, but it's just something I never really found joy in doing so. And rings? How about rings? Like balls is your favorite. That's, that's yeah, clear understood. But, but rings are definitely something I really enjoy more and more the longer I juggle. And recently I've switched my focus to juggle maybe like 50% of the times only rings to really increase my technical capabilities with rings. How many hours is that per day would that be currently? Um, right now I switched up my practicing schedule a little bit and I usually try to do like three hours of ball juggling and then two hours or three hours of ring juggling. But it really depends on the weather because I, as I said, I don't have a gym right now, so practicing rings is always a little bit tricky doing outside. Um, where are you with balls and where are you with rings in terms of your technical ability, the base pad, like the base patterns that you're working on and the kinds of tricks? Just give us a quick okay. overview. Start with the yeah. balls, maybe. Yeah, with balls, I think I'm at a pretty good point right now. One of my main goals for the next few months and hopefully by the end of the next year is to get the 100 side swaps with one uh, with six balls for 100 catches. And I'm like one third of the way down. So I'm really, I'm really making good progress on that. For everyone who doesn't Another, know, that's a Instagram challenge, right? Yes, that's my current Instagram challenge getting 100 catches with 106 ball tricks. 
because that's never been done before. And since my main focus in juggling is side swaps, that is the perfect challenge for me. It's really nice. Every day I look on Instagram, I get a, I get inspired. A new pattern comes up that I've never heard of. Which is that's just, this is kind of the cool, the cool thing about side swaps. For for anyone who doesn't know, it's a sort of, um, I'd say, mathematical way of um, writing juggling patterns down for people for other jugglers to be able to reproduce those patterns to also do them. Yeah, and it's it's the best way of juggling for myself. Because I'm not that creative when it comes to juggling, like the kind of stuff that people like Wes Peden or Zach McAllister do, I could never see myself do them because I just don't have a brain wired to that kind of creativity. So I have a very mathematical approach with juggling in general, and side swaps are just the perfect fit for that. And you can do them with balls, you can do them with rings, and then soon, soon you could also do them with clubs maybe. <laughs> Yeah, who knows? Give give me another 10 years or so and maybe all I'm doing is club side swaps. <laughs> do you but... feel like do you feel like six balls is sort of the perfect amount of objects to be doing side swaps with? Because I feel like seven is seven balls is, you know, so difficult to do side swaps with because um it it just takes a lot longer to get solid at anything with seven oh, as yeah, opposed to six so but true. six is still so much cooler than five because there's just so much more going on which yeah and, yeah and it's an even number which you know i would say up until two or three years ago was totally undervalued and now i feel like oh, people are, are starting to see what you can do with it and are starting to um develop those patterns that you were talking about the side spot patterns also doing more creative stuff with six in general with oh, juggling. Yeah, definitely. Six balls has been quite underrepresented, I feel. So it's good that it gets a little bit more attention in general right now. But as for your assignment that seven balls is too hard with side swaps, I think I would partially agree, but just because- And partially my, disagree. <laughs> yeah, partially disagree because the thing about side swaps is I don't think that like if I were to be like way better, like if I had seven balls, the levels of like Esteban, then I could probably run seven ball side swaps quite as fast as I can run six ball side swaps right now. Because the funny thing about side swaps for me is that you eventually reach a level where learning a new side swap is not the same as like learning a new trick in entirely. It's just something that you have to wrap your brain around a little bit. And as soon as that clicks, you can almost immediately run the side swap. At because least that's my experience so far. Do you, do you think that is because each and every side swap is sort of a combination of other side swaps? So you like yeah, recognize absolutely. like seven, five, uh, six, seven, five, six, one with five balls. You sort of start to recognize the seven, five, six from your six ball patterns. And then you mm -hmm. just put it together that way. Yeah, exactly. The way I always think or thought about it is that when you learn side swaps, then there are certain chunks in a side swap that repeat in a lot of side swaps as well. Like say 864, you can put it in 844, 8641, you can do it with 86475. And you kind of recognize this little chunk, 864. And if you recognize that pattern and you already know how to do it, then combining it with different chunks in different ways is not that much more difficult in general now. 
Are you also working on side swaps with rings? Because we, I've, I, I, yes. I, I might be wrong, but I've not seen a lot of ring juggling on your Instagram. No, I think there's no ring juggling for me at all on Instagram. But I'm working very heavily on ring side swaps right now. I'm working a lot on running seven five six with six rings, running eight five five and nine five 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 with rings. But currently, my ring level is so much less than my ball juggling level than that I would feel really bad putting it out on Instagram so far. So I want to become way better before I start showing ring juggling actually. But it's interesting still that you're practicing outside all the time. It's very rare that you get to practice in a gym and you still dedicate about, um, you still use 50% of the time you spend juggling you spend it on ring juggling, despite being outside, yeah. being forced to be at, outside. At least if the weather is yeah. right for that. Well, yeah, right. It's starting to get a little, you know, a little bit cooler outside. So that might be a problem, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. But luckily, my gym situation will improve by December because then a new gym will open that I can attend to. And then everything should be okay. <laughs> um, what kind of props do you use you use uh i mean the brand especially not the clubs i don't really care about that but the balls and yeah. the rings especially the balls yeah for the balls i use 75 millimeter russians that are made from the friend that teach me juggling originally jonas Fertsch. and you can find the balls if you search on facebook for Joni's juggling and he manufactures the balls oh so he sells I always them. get sponsored by him Ooh. So I don't have to pay for my balls. <laughs> you got to stay good friends then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, as for my rings, I use plain pink rings from Play Juggling. So nothing okay. too crazy there. Play, play, you said, right? Play? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Rings from Play. And so far, they haven't failed me at all. They are of a very top-notch quality. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I have the old play rings. I'm not sure which ones you have, but the new ones they're making, I think they're really bad. The They're very square. I'm not sure if they're, I think they're from play, the very new ones, but I'm not sure you already, are yours the, the new ones? When did you get them? Maybe. I think I first bought my rings in 2018 or so, maybe 2017. Yeah, those might be the new ones. I'm not sure. Maybe they're the new ones, and I actually heard a lot of bad stuff about them. But you, so you maybe I like just got lucky with the batch of rings that I received. But mm. so far, I only ever broke two rings. One ring, unfortunately, yeah, too, broke I like two weeks about... <laughs> after. And the other ring, I broke myself in a fit of not being very happy with juggling. <laughs> I threw the ring against the wall. <laughs> It'll never do that again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a Jason Garfield. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe I picked up the habit from this. <laughs> throwing the rings against the wall in disgust. Um, X, actually, yes. Okay, I have a couple. Uh, let's get away from juggling. What are your thoughts on music versus podcasts? What do you even like podcasts at all? Or what do you listen to when you practice? What do you listen to when you? Don't practice, you listen to anything at all. Um, yeah, when I practice, I usually just listen to random music that I currently enjoy. And that varies greatly in genre. 
So I listen to basically everything from very, very guilty pleasure pop to really, really hardcore death metal. So quite a broad arrangement. And when it comes to podcasts, I found myself enjoying them more and more. I was never a fan of them initially, but nowadays I do listen to podcasts every now and then, like when I do stuff like cooking on the side or something like that, then I like to enjoy a podcast. But it's not as, you know, you still have to pay attention. This is, I feel like something that makes it not inconvenient, but you definitely, they're definitely, you, when you're practicing, listening yes. to podcasts at the same time requires you to be very focused, extremely focused. And it can be, it can be very exhausting. You know, it can be really, really hard. Yeah. So music is probably the way to go. Yeah. At least for me, I know a lot of jugglers usually like to hear like podcasts during their practice. I think Moritz does it. Do you do it as well? I, I sometimes do it, but um, actually I just do it because when, well, when I'm just going through my like standard practice routine mm -hmm. that I don't really have to think about that, that, that would be when I put on podcasts or also if I just, ah, makes if sense, I just yes. don't feel like listening to music, I sometimes like to have, you know, these French philosophy, philosophy podcasts in the background because it's oh, very calming. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's very calming. I can see that. Yeah. Also That's when I, actually a very good point. or for example, I feel like practicing every single day um, is really, really difficult, especially starting on day four or five, it starts to get very hard to convince yourself that, you know, now is, now is the time to go to practice. It's going to be worth it. Oh yeah. So then just telling myself, Oh, you, you, you'll get to listen. You're going to get to listen to a podcast today. That's really motivating. And then I just juggles like on ah. the side. <laughs> so to say ah, that, yeah, yeah. That, that's a that's a very great way to motivate like turn yourself. turn the podcast into uh compensation or turn the podcast into the main thing and yeah. mentally um push the juggling down a notch <laughs> and like say to yourself okay today i'm just going to listen to the podcast and like, just juggle on the side until the podcast is over if it's like a two-hour podcast and then you've practiced for two hours you've enjoyed the podcast but you've also practiced, so. Yeah, so it's a win-win situation. Yeah, exactly. Win -win. I never really thought about using <laughs> podcasts as a way to motivate myself to practice when I don't really want to practice, but I gotta say that's a very smart thought of you yeah. to look at it like that. Because practicing, it can get very monotonous, especially yeah. if you do it like every day for several hours. There are always some times where you sit there and you practice a pattern that you've already practiced like 5,000 times and you're like why the fuck am I even doing that anymore yeah but um it's like seven objects running them you know seven ball cascade seven ring cascade you just have to keep on yeah. working on that in order to you know keep it fresh every single oh, yeah, day to keep it in your muscle memory because if you take a break for two or three days it's going to feel you know just a little bit worse and you don't want mm -hmm. that you don't want that because yeah. you can't you can't work with that you can't plan your progress that way oh yeah that is very true the skill decay is so monumental when you get to the higher numbers what um are some jugglers that inspire you and what are some of your most favorite juggling videos that you've ever seen uh, on youtube and then also do you like youtube more or do you prefer instagram 
I usually prefer YouTube more because I do enjoy the longer videos. There, there's more to the videos. I don't have to switch the video for so often and it's just it just makes for a way nicer experience. As for the jugglers that really inspire me, you are definitely on top of the list, I would say. Thank you I think so your, your juggling has at least influenced my own kind of juggling quite a bit in the sense that I really saw a lot of value in getting my tricks solid instead of just going like after the next power trick that I can only pull off after like four hours of practice for one time. So your style of juggling really shaped the way I look at my own juggling in a sense. And other than you, I would say my biggest inspirations in juggling right now would be Martin Pressburg, Jack Danger, and of course, Moritz Rosner. Which is really cool that you get to practice with him from time to time, you know, get to see and practice with the people that inspire you. Yeah, that is that is such a privilege and I'm very happy for that. that and the juggling great. videos, the juggling videos you like that inspired oh, yeah. you, your favorites. My absolute favorite juggling video would be Dan Wood number five from like 2012, like way oh, back he's in the, the day. Uh, He's the British ball juggler, right? Yeah, he, one of the British numbers jugglers. <laughs> but Dan, Dan's video, Dan Wood number five, it just has so much amazing side swap juggling. He starts the video off with, I think, like four DB97531s. I remember and this video from 2014 or something. From 2014? I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly. I just remember seeing it at an EJC, one of the first EJCs I went to. Could be, could have been in Ireland, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I think I, yeah, I, I know see. who you're talking about now. Four DBs. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, that was in summer 2013 from Denwood. Just looked it up right now. Okay, so it was to lose. So, yeah, EJC. Yeah. So to everyone listening to the podcast and not having seen the video, you gotta search up Denwood number five. It's <laughs> Probably, it's my favorite juggling video of all times and it just has everything that I look forward in juggling. So that would be your favorite. Any any other video you definitely yeah. want to, man, uh, to mention or? Yeah, I have a couple of videos that I usually circle around before I go to practice because I found that my practice is a lot more productive when I first watch one of my favorite juggling videos. And just a few mentions that I usually watch every now and then that would be O from Ofec, of course. It's like the craziest technical skill. Then Better from Jack Danger from 2019. The ring video Halos from Jonah Botvinnik Greenhouse is also absolutely brilliant. And also Seven Years of Juggling from Alex McGivelray, I was used to watch. And also Seven Years of Juggling from yours truly, Christian. Oh, thank you so much. But by the way, I should have Jonah on. That would be that would be quite a quite an interview also i feel like oh, i should absolutely. ask him i should text him i should text them after this one um yeah, just gave me a really good idea because <laughs> um, he's also got like a broken arm like not an actually broken arm but like heavily yeah, he's injured got, like some wrist injuries i think yeah i really hope he's getting a speedy recovery because this juggling is so magnificent and he also seems like a really nice and supportive guy. 
I didn't get to meet him in person so far, but I did talk to him like just a little bit or watched some of his replies and he seems like a really cool guy. So I hope he's getting healed up back to 100% very soon. Like once Corona is over, I would love to just visit some US jugglers, just fly over there and then practice with them for like two weeks or something. If that, if that was ever, you know, if that, that were a possibility, yeah. that would be really great. Oh yeah, that that would be amazing. There's We're so going to IJ or them coming to EJC. Yeah, some of the American jugglers said that they wanted to visit the EJC during the next years. I think <laughs> Jack said that he wanted to come to Berlin also, if he gets a chance to do that. Yeah, so, this year he, he was going to do that, that would be um, awesome. this year, but he changed changed his plans, and then it ended up being not even yeah. you know a problem because uh, due to Corona, everything got sort of cancelled. Um, yeah, that is so unfortunate that there's no conventions at the moment. Okay, I'm going to need a 10 second break to drink some coffee because this, uh, <laughs> you can also drink something if you want because we've been going for, you know, 50 minutes or 45 minutes now. Mm. Yeah, sure. But I still have more Always questions. Some <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah, if you come up with something, you can also add that or something you definitely want to talk about before um, yeah. we end the yeah, podcast. There's actually one thing that I wanted to talk about back when you asked me how it, how it came about that I practice so many hours a day. Because one of the reasons for that is also that I started practicing juggling when I was 19. And I feel like for almost all of the highly technical jugglers, that age is like almost unheard of. Like most of the super technical Jugglers today started way earlier. I think you started at like 12 or 13 or so. 11. And that was already, what? 11. 11. But that is also a little bit late, like at least compared to like Thomas, for example, or Jack or Anthony. Yeah. A lot of the technical jugglers started way earlier. And one of the main drives for me to practice that much is that I feel like I have less time to like really develop my skill because I started practicing so, so late. So you need to catch up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like what you need to make up for like 10 years of not practicing at all and having nothing to do with juggling. <laughs> <laughs> do you um, actually think that has a huge impact or do you think you still learn? You're still learning now. You're still making progress fast. Or do you feel like you would have made a lot more progress putting in the same amount of hours you know, starting at 10 years old, eight years old, six years old? Mm, I don't actually think that it would have changed that much, actually, because when you're younger, you are less focused, less disciplined, which does take away a little bit, but you do have more energy, you do have more time, so that kind of makes up for it a little bit. But I don't think it would have made that much of an impact on my juggling if I started like from 10 to like 16 instead of like 19 to 25 i don't think my level of skill would be drastically different if that were the case to be honest and i still um, feel like i'm making kind of fast progress like this year oh, you for are, example you are. finally my eight balls are clicking and there, there's really no end in sight so far i feel like um, how much i can get better 
I feel like I'm, I, I, I just uh, was going to ask you, do you feel that practicing, you know, seven hours a day, for example, it um, feels like time goes by slower because seven hours a day is a long time. And then that's like 35 hours a week. No, that's actually 49 hours a week. Um, yeah. It feels like you're, because you're so aware of every time that you go to practice and every little bit of progress that you make that like one month of practice feels like, you know, so long. I think it's actually the opposite, to be honest. And the time flies by really quickly. Really? Okay. Like, That's yeah, interesting. Because I always felt it was exactly the opposite. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, oh it's only Wednesday. Super interesting. But I don't know. It does depend a little bit on my motivation and my general state of mind. Like when I'm not having a good session, then 10 minutes of practice feel like I've been going at it for hours, which is pretty much that what you ex or what you said. But sometimes if I have like a good practice, then I'm like, what the fuck? Already four hours have been have gone by. How did that happen? <laughs> so it does depend on my mental state, I would say. You've already um, talked a little bit about consistency and how you value consistency. Um, but how do you feel about it versus getting stuff on camera or also when you're trying to get stuff on camera, how important it is, is it for, uh, how important is it for you to, do you like to show stuff you can do consistently or do you just want to do like the hardest trick you've ever done and put that in a video and then like 10 of um, those, 10 of those moves? Um, usually I, I think I stick to the former because one of the greatest feelings that I ever found at like attending a juggling convention is to like meet some of the idols, some of the people that you really look up to and ask them for a trick, like a technical trick from their recent juggling video and to just go on and do it first try. And mm. that, is, that is the kind of juggling that I want to do because there are some jugglers that I looked at the videos and I was like completely shocked at how awesome they are and then I saw them in person and asked them to do like a trick from the video and they felt the trick for like 20 minutes and it became clear to me that they can't do the trick at all and their actual technical level is way lower than what is shown on the video. And I felt very disappointed when seeing that. And then you so did not I, want that to happen to yourself. Yeah, exactly. I, I want my videos to be something that people see and they see me in person and they're like, oh, to can you show me that side swap you, or yeah. something like that? And then I can just show it to them. You want your videos to reflect how good you actually are and not how good you're the best version of yourself, you know, trying every yeah, exactly. for three hours. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously there are some tricks that I put in a video where I just practiced like four hours to get the trick once, but the main focus of the video should not be that. But I think it's important to have that style of juggling as well, because that is the way to like really show where the limits are. I have a question, um, maybe some advice you could give to people who are just starting out. And since this is a podcast for, uh, I think yeah. a lot of people that are listening to this are sort of in the almost advanced category of jugglers, uh, meaning... Mm -hmm. They're trying to go from five to, you know, six balls or seven balls. So one of the things that I said to myself was, I'm going to ask every guest that I have on the show um, what they think of six and seven ball juggling and what their advice would be if, they're, if they are jugglers. 
that juggle six and seven balls, which you are. So I would just want to ask you um, if you were to do a tutorial for six balls and for seven balls, what would you put in that tutorial? And what would you, what were the things that really helped you be it mindset or be it just, you know, sort of prerequisites and exercises? Mm -hmm. So the first thing of course is you should never skip six to go to seven. I think that is the first advice I would give to anybody. And I think it's important to not try and rush your skill level and not try to like have like a shaky five ball cascade and immediately work on six balls and seven balls. But the thing that helped me the most were side swaps that had a lot of the numbers that I wanted to actually learn in it. So my six balls never really clicked that much until I started practicing six, 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 one with five balls. And as soon as that one clicked, then my six balls just magically, they just worked afterwards. Oh. So, so it sometimes just takes, you know, do you, but that probably differs from person to person, like what specific exercise or prerequisite yeah. works for them. That just ended up being what worked for you. Yeah, that is just something that worked for me. But I think the most important factor of like learning six and seven balls it's not necessarily how you go about learning them. It's just about always going out, practicing consistently. And when you practice, you should never try to practice within your comfort zone that much. So I think the best way to make progress in general is to always have a good portion of your training be about leaving your comfort zone. Not so is... far that you're attempting impossible tricks, but just a little bit. I think there was a, once a linguist, Stephen Krashen. I think he's still alive, actually. He's not even that old. He said, I think, I think it's him, but I'm not, I think he came up with the input hypothesis. And he said, 5% of your input in your target language, the language you're trying to learn, um, should be unknown. And, you know, so about 5%, that's sort of the amount of new stuff you should be working on. She'd never only... And that's only for language learning, but you should always okay. push yourself. You should never just be happy with what you can already do. So if you just read children's books, you're not going to get better because there is no unknown vocabulary for you in it to learn. Yeah, it's true. So you should always find material that's just that's just slightly above your current skill level. And that will yeah. then make you um, progress. So I feel like with juggling, it's probably the same. You always have to, yes, you have to work on your core ability but also push forward whenever possible and work on you know the next the version of the trick that's just a little bit more difficult yeah i 100 agree with that and also one of the traps that i noticed in practice is that a lot of the time we get the feeling that if we don't practice a certain skill then we eventually start to lose that skill so a lot of people the better they get, the more time they waste on tricks they already can do in order to prevent them from losing the trick. But in reality, they should continue to push forward and practice harder versions of these tricks because then the basic version of the tricks will just stick with you and get solidified passively. So in other words, don't just work on, say, 8x6. Work on the 8x6, 5 up 360, and then you're still working on the 8x6 when you're working on the pure red. It's yeah, just, exactly. you know, you just do, uh, you go, go one, one step further and that way 
everything that's below will still be solid because you're working on the more difficult version that requires you to do the easier version as part of the same trick. Yeah, exactly. And also if you do the easy version or like if you do the hard version of the trick, then the easy version of the trick is something that gets pushed in the back of your mind. And in trying to focus on the hard stuff, like for example, the 8x6 five up, your brain already tries to find the most efficient way to do the base pattern so that you're able in the first place to do the hard trick. Could you just- that um, something that I also noticed. Could you just give us your some of your records, currently endurance records with uh, the numbers? Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. So my record with seven balls is like two and a half minutes, I think. So, so that's about I don't know how many catches there is. Yes, something in that catch range. My six ball record is nine minutes with the fountain and eight minutes in 7.56. So getting closer <laughs> to a, a better 7.56 record. I hope I can break the world record in that. I think the 756 is easier if you're just trying to avoid collisions for some reason. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really weird though. Yeah, definitely. And as for the higher numbers, my eight ball record, I actually don't know exactly. I have one run in async that was somewhere between 90 and maybe 105 catches, but I cannot be sure how many catches there actually were. And with the higher numbers, it's really hard to accurately count the catches while you're running the pattern. But the longest async run I've done of eight balls with a clean finish was like 85 catches, I think. Wow, and nine? So, and nine, it's a little bit the same. The highest record with nine that I know of that I've actually counted is 50 catches. And I had one run that might have gone into like the 60, 70 range, but that is, pretty much speculation because I didn't film it and you, you can't really count it. My last question before we wrap it up is yes. going to be a little bit controversial. Do you, do you think a eight ball world record has to be done in the fountain pattern or can it be done in a half shower or a wimpy pattern? <laughs> oh, that, that is a really, really controversial topic, yeah. especially with Fluka pushing the wimpy record. <laughs> So the way I always thought about it is that the overall eight ball world record, it can be broken in Wimpy, but the skill that is displayed or that is displayed would not be the same. Exactly. So the way I look at it, like when you compare the skill level, then I would say that the eight ball fountain is way harder than doing seven clubs, for example. Oh and yeah. Eight yeah. ball Wimpy Definitely. is like a little bit on the a little bit easier than seven clubs maybe so i think there's quite oh, yeah, a big sig i think it's significantly difference. easier actually this yes. is why this is why i feel like uh there should be some sort of a rule <laughs> that world records can only be done the base patterns you know what i mean what i'm trying to say i know what you mean yeah but um because that would make it a little bit more transparent yeah that that's very true but but I also get that it's like, it's still a valid juggling pattern, right? You're still throwing and catching yeah. only yeah, exactly. one ball and at a time. So yeah, no matter how you look at it, eight ball wimpy, it's still a very hard pattern. It's harder than the seven ball cascade. That's for sure. But yeah, the difference between eight ball wimpy and eight ball async is 
way higher than you would think from just looking at the number. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. If there is there anything else you would like to share with the juggling community or people um, in general? Well, I I think I just want to express my gratitude of being <laughs> a part of the juggling community for so long, because I think it's one of the most inclusive and friendly communities that I've ever been a part of. And Agreed. I I want just want to. I'm just going to say everything you yes. you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So thank you for having me on this podcast. You're welcome. I really enjoyed talking to you about juggling and stuff.